shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He causes sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So he said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We really know that verse, don't we? That verse is kind of like a summary of the verses ahead of it. Thief comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Father, we need to hear your voice, a voice that we know is distinct, distinctively yours, because we need to hear that clear voice of truth of heaven speaking to us. And would you help us even more ready to recognize a voice that's not yours a stranger's voice that's trying to appeal to something in our lives to pull us away from your voice Lord help us today Lord clear our minds of clutter help us to think on you focus our attention on you you are the way maker you are the gate sheep fold. You are the protector of the sheep. You're the great shepherd of the sheep. You're our shepherd. We are your sheep. And your care for us goes beyond what we can ever fathom. And we need even more your care in these days that we live in now. We need your healing. We need your protection. And we need to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Thank you, praise team. Amen. They get here about 8 o'clock or something like that. And so they put in a good day, good morning work. Not only that, just getting ready. I appreciate you guys. You do a great job. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, today's message is titled, Strange Voices. And by that, it reflects on what I shared in the passage. I've read that passage so many times, but as God really pressed on me to share this message this morning, boy, it just took on this aura of there's competition for the sheep. He would never have mentioned this if there was not a jeopardy for those in the sheepfold. 
he would have never warned us to do not be deceived if there was not the danger of being deceived. He would have never spoken to his own disciples to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. If they weren't capable of being infected by that leaven, which he said was hypocrisy, which was portraying one thing and being another, not being the real portrayal. None of that happens today, right? What you see is what you get. But he says these voices of the stranger are masquerading as a replica of him. The stranger is not trying to get into the sheepfold by being an obvious counterfeit. His voice or the voice of that particular invader is masquerading as a voice of truth. In fact, all he or, or they want to do is wreak havoc within the sheepfold, which is create havoc within the church believers. These voices really appeal to the unregenerate because they don't know the voice of the shepherd. They, are, they, they don't recognize what Jesus' voice sounds like. So the voice of the stranger appeals to them. But there's never been a day... And, and uh, you know, I think this is being recorded and it might be even going live. But there's never been a day that strange voices have found a welcome mat in the lives of Christ followers as today. And when I share this, it's, it's going to be obvious that there's people who are truly believers who are listening to voices that are these strange voices. Maybe in the days of Adolf Hitler. Now those was back in the 30s, you know, when he was putting his ideas together and getting his people around him that he, be, he could be empowered to carry out his, his actions, his, his murderous actions. But Adolf Hitler persuaded the majority of the Lutheran church's leadership to join in his nationalistic passion and it looked like the anti-semitic rhetoric of this man would have driven them away from that but they didn't allow that to really deter them by embracing him as a nationalist german making germany greater even to the point one of the first things he introduced to them was to remove anyone of jewish ethnicity from Lutheran ministry. That ought to that ought to really been a, a an alarm that went off in the Lutheran church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't fall for it. Neither did Karl Barth fall for it. They formed what became known as the Confessing Church, the True Church of Christ in Germany, which put them at odds with Hitler's Nazism. And you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He ended up being hung. It was the last command that Hitler gave before he committed suicide along with his, I guess, wife or fiance or something. <clears throat> it was the last command. He hated that man with a passion because he dared challenge him with the authority of Christ. 
when the entire, basically almost the entire Lutheran church and the Catholic church looked the other way, how did they not know that was a strange voice? How did they not know that Adolf Hitler was a thief and a robber scaling the walls of the sheepfold? How did they not know that voice? You have to turn a deaf ear to the familiarity of the voice of Christ to be swept away into that kind of debauchery. Earlier than that, another German-born, German-born Jew. Adolf Hitler was Jewish, by the way. And it's kind of odd that a number of years before him, another German-born Jewish man took up the cause of another strange voice. That man was Karl Marx. You'll hear him referred to every time you hear the word Marxist because it goes back to Karl Marx. <laughs> I was reading something the other day about him and someone said he would have really looked good on a Kansas album cover. <laughs> and I did what you did. I chuckled at that. Karl Barth was born a Jewish man in a Jewish family. His family converted to Christianity when he was young, but he disavowed all of it. Became an avowed atheist. He uh, advocated in his early adult years the overthrow of all political systems in Europe's nations, including his own Germany, to the point that he had to move from Europe over into England where there was a little bit more of an opportunity for him to write what he was going to write and say what he was going to say. And when he was, he spent the last 30 years of his life in London, England. Probably most of us didn't know that and didn't really care to know that. <clears throat> but you better start caring because he's all over our culture today. His ideas have permeated our entire culture today. We, we have no idea how much the influence of this man, not only giving Lenin the impetus to have the Bolshevik revolution, but his ideas about religion, his ideas about faith. He took refuge in England. He's buried in England next to his wife. He and his wife are buried right there in London, England. He wrote Das Kapital while he was there. And he wrote later the Communist Manifesto while he was there, advocating for communism, advocating for an overthrow of the systems of capitalism. Marx was a strange voice of anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-religion. Now, why am I spending a little bit of time this morning on this guy? I'm glad you asked that. It is relevant because it's my responsibility and the pastor's responsibility to warn people of strange voices. We have one Savior, we have one Lord, we have one Redeemer, and it's not the government. It's not an idea, it's not a political party, it's not a candidate. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is our one Savior, our one Lord, our Redeemer, who alone should be the shepherd of our lives. But that doesn't keep the devil from trying. Do you think Satan is going to tempt you by frontal attack on something you treasure? 
it says that he appears as an angel of light. Meaning he doesn't do anything that's obviously against the will of God. And he won't tempt you to do anything that's obviously against your value system. But he'll throw a half-truth out there, something that's got a little bit of truth mixed in. And how many of you know that if something is half-truth, it's not true at all? That's how deception works. Here's a question that probably people ask. When someone is deceived, do they know they're deceived? No, you wouldn't be deceived. You can only be deceived by not knowing that you're being deceived. And I know you're probably asking, well, how do you know how to come out of deception? It's when truth crashes into the deception. It's when the word of God, and sometimes it's like a light that comes on in people's lives when they see what God's word says, and they say, well, you know, I, I didn't think that way. I didn't see it that way. Satan is the ultimate thief. He's the ultimate one trying to scale the wall of the sheepfold to try to disturb the sheep. And he will masquerade his voice as a, as a shepherd, as a voice of truth. The Christian faith, the belief that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that God so loved the world that his, he sent his only son into this horrible world to die on a cross in our place, to die for our sins, to be buried, and God approve his death on the cross by raising him from the dead and offering eternal life to those who will believe in him. That's our faith. That's our trust. For lack of a better, that's our religion. Someone says, what, what is your religion? I say, Christianity. I think sometimes they want to know what's my denomination. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But Karl Marx thought that religion was an illusion. His opinion of, of religion was that it's an illusion that provides reasons and excuses to keep society functioning just as it is. It is just a medicine to make people feel better about how bad their lives are. He said, much as capitalism takes over productive labor and alienates us from its value, religion takes our highest ideas and aspirations and alienates us from them, projecting them onto an alien and unknowable <clears throat> being called a God with a little g. He went on to say this, the abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is required. Did you hear what I just said? The abolition of religion as an illusory happiness of the people is required for their real happiness. In other words, you people who are happy, you're just, you, you don't realize how happy you are until we just take all religion away and then we can discover real happiness. Does that guy look like he's happy? I've never seen a socialist that was a happy. Even the, the more recognizable socialists they're all angry they're all I, I don't want their happiness i really like my happiness he said the demand to give up the illusion about its condition is the demand to give up a condition that needs illusions he says the only reason why religion hangs around is that it needs illusions and that we're all contaminated with illusions what does it matter i'm glad you asked that question too 
It is relevant because there's thieves and robbers storming the sheepfold of Christ's sheepfold, hoping to capture your interest, your passion, your mind, your ideas, pulling you away from the voice of Christ who is the shepherd of our souls. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. As an organization was founded by three women who've adopted Marxist ideas and philosophy. Why should we even touch on that? The statement is true. Black lives do matter. And that George Floyd's life mattered. Ollie Moore's life mattered. We stood at his graveside yesterday <clears throat> with his family. 87 years. But the time when I could visit in Glen Haven, I could go in, could see Winnie Smith, I could go in and see Ollie Moore. Sometimes I would go in and the speech therapist people and the people trying to help him recover from the stroke was showing him how to eat and helping him. And, and these people were so remarkable. I, I, I told him, I said, coming in here and watching how you treat him, that he's a stroke a victim of a stroke, and he's trying to, they were pouring themselves into that man's life. It didn't matter if he was 80-something years of age. It didn't matter that he was severely limited. He couldn't even uh, be understood. But they were showing that that man's life mattered. But the organization that has that in front of it is not valuing black lives. They're valuing a strange voice called Karl Marx to totally destroy the apparatus of our society. It is driven by Marxist ideas. Verse 10 says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. We've identified when we've read that statement that that's the devil, right? But according to Jesus, he said, and everyone that's come before me were them. Not just the devil, were the people that were masquerading as voices of truth. And he said, they were here, they were coming before me. And just because he's come and has cru been crucified and is raised from the dead, ascended, that doesn't mean they're not still coming. Even John, before the first century church was ever moving into the second century, John was dealing with Gnosticism that was invading the greatest danger within the church is strange voices. Strange voices that we are not recognizing as strange because it's a, maybe advocating one thing that we agree with like Black Lives Matter. But the, the power moving behind that phrase is Marxist. The radical LGBTQ is all supportive of that. Antifa is all supportive of that. It's really a domestic terrorist group. It's right in the middle of the social upheaval in our world. This is not a defense of life. This is not a defense of the value of life. It's for the abolition of religion, the marginalizing of Christians, and the effort, listen, the effort to divide us. And the church is divided today. Regrettably so, the church is divided. And sometimes it's divided along racial lines, but even more so along political and philosophical lines. And that is not the purpose of God. 
It is the enemy's purpose to divide us, and he's doing a really good job about it. As proof, what I'm saying to you is probably I'm going to get pushback on what I'm saying to you when it goes wherever it goes. Because there's some people who say you went too far, and there's some people who say you didn't go far enough. Some will say you said too much, and some will say you didn't say enough. I really kind of take a little bit of encouragement from Billy Graham this morning because I've been filling my life up with preaching. I have discovered cassette tapes in my office that I hadn't seen in years, and I'm, uh, you know, whether it's David Wilkerson or J. Don George or Lauren Triplett, I've, I've recorded them. I've got them on my phone now. I'm just like, I'm just into the preaching of these men. And Billy Graham was speaking at a um, National Religious Broadcasters organization probably 40-something years ago. I would think about maybe that much. It was back in the 80s maybe. But he was saying, you know, I've been preaching and and I'm being attacked from both sides of his church. I was like, I didn't know anybody attacked Billy Graham. But he was caught in the same thing. He wasn't saying enough about social ills. He was saying too much about social ills. You just can't satisfy people. But God has just disturbed my sleep. I love my sleep. I was doing so good sleeping. After I changed my diet and all and exercise, I I had, oh man, it was wonderful. God had just disturbed my sleep gave me a disturbing dream recently and the only person I've told is Brenda just shaking me up about speaking truth and about treasuring what cannot be stolen from you treasuring what a strange voice cannot pull you away from is there racism in our world I don't know if anybody would say, no, there's not. There's racism in our world. I don't think you have to look too far. When I was in Habaris, Russia, Habaris, Russia is on the border of China and Russia. I was as far east in Russia as you can get, teaching homiletics and book of Acts at a seminary. And there was more Asian ethnic people in that city than Russian Caucasian, it was, in fact, the class that we had, the the sessions we had was in a Korean Assemblies of God church. And the guy that was leading the campus extension of the Moscow Theological Seminary was a Baptist pastor. And then I met navigators meeting in there about evangelism. I was like, I think this is the way the church should function. A Baptist guy is helping a Korean Assembly of God with us with the Pentecostal Union of the of the Soviet Union or the or Russia then, and training leadership for ministry. But I recognize that some of the ethnic minorities among the Asian people were looked down upon. Not in our session, but these poor people that came in. I I was explained to me that they are relegated in society to like the lowest level here in Russia they're not they're not considered equal at all and here they were dedicated to God going to serve God part of the sheepfold and their strange voices that was outside of their 
telling everybody they didn't matter. You see, I think we do need racial reconciliation. But I don't think we can have that until we have racial understanding. And we won't have understanding by talking at issues, but by talking with each other as believers. As believers, I don't think we'll ever be able to sit down with unregenerate people and come to some kind of agreement. But the church ought to be different. The church, the church should rise up and say, we refuse to let a wedge be driven between us. I have no idea the challenges of being a minority, being in the black community. I've been in their churches. In fact, I spoke just a couple weeks ago with Spencer Jones, who pastored for years and years of Southside Tabernacle in Chicago on Racine Avenue. We preached at that church, I guess in the 90s, on our way to Minneapolis for general council. He says, I want you to preach. We got there. I preached both morning services, great church. We were only four white people in the whole place. And Jason Kelly was a little nervous, but Spencer Jones is like, he's been here, you know how he is. He's just like, he's just loud, he's, he just loves people, and, and he wrapped his arms around them and says, oh, we got a class for you guys. And they'd already told us, we want to sit with you, go to Sunday school with you, and church with you. And, and uh, he wrapped his arms and says, well, we're going to stay with our parents. Oh, you don't want to stay with your parents, we got a class for you. And he carted them off with them looking back at us like, help us. For once, they got the feel of what it was like. But we were treated as, as just like every, everybody else was treated. It shouldn't be in the church. It might be out there. Racism might be out there, but it should not be in the church. It should not be in our hearts. It should not be in our minds. Do you understand why Jesus always wanted to throw a Samaritan into the story? I got to go through Samaria. And the chosen really magnified that. We, we're not supposed to travel through Samaria. Oh, there's, we're supposed to go through Samaria, and you're not even supposed to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And there he is. And then in one of the great parables, the Good Samaritan, he features a Good Samaritan as opposed to a Levite and a priest. Do you think he chose them intentionally to show that God's eyes see everybody with equal value? When I first came here, the f I think the first couple of weeks I was here, I was sitting in the office trying to figure out, <laughs> figure out what I needed to do first. No secretary. Um, and then Vic Moore calls me and said, uh, uh, you're the new pastor at First Assembly. I said, yes, sir. He says, well, I'm, I'm Vic Moore, and I'm involved with a prayer summit, and we're going to have a, a three-day prayer summit in uh, – I guess it's three or four weeks, and we'd like for you to go. We'd like for you to come. I said, well, I'm, I'm new here, and I got a lot of work to do, and I just, and I just kind of was telling him. And then I did. I just, just had so much that I needed to tend to, just getting settled in. And uh, he said, well, really, you, you need to get away for prayer, three days of prayer. This is a great prayer meeting, great time of being with God. And, and I says, I, I, I'm, I'm all for a prayer meeting, but I got work to do. And he says, let me ask you something. Did, whatever you you're going to be doing over the over those three days do you think 
for your church that would be more important to them or more important for you to get away and pray for them for three days? You see, that wasn't fair. That was not fair. For him to pull the spiritual card on me wasn't fair. So he just embarrassed me into saying, well, I, I, I guess I'll go. And I hung the phone up and I said, but I don't want to go. <laughs> I got work to do. That was one of the most overwhelming experiences I had up to that point in my life. I room with Jesse Williams. Some of you know Jesse and R.N.A. Williams. Maybe you don't. Just a great couple. I room with him as uh, a black pastor of a small church. And, and it was, you know, I, I didn't need that, but it's kind of like they put us that way on purpose, you know. But to pray with them and to meet E.J. James and Smith Moore and some of the great men in this city and, and and it was right, it was right. We prayed together, we saw God. Could it be that we need just maybe three days of prayer? Where we seek the face of God? Listen, we cannot, we cannot allow division to come into our lives. We cannot allow strange voices to separate us. If we let that separate, it means that thieves and robbers have scaled the wall to the sheepfold and they've, they've confused the sheep and the sheep are running in different directions. So what do we need to do? We, I, I believe it starts with us really saying, Lord, what is my part? What is my part? And if I'm not doing my part, forgive me for not doing my part. Would that be, would that be okay to come to that conclusion? Lord, am, am I allowing division to happen without any pushback in the spirit and in my prayers and my reading your word and in my conversation? Someone showed me, someone showed me a, a, a preacher I recognize on Facebook. Someone says, have you seen this? This guy's really fired up. And when I started listening to it, I said, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. That's terrible. It's a terrible witness. And I've heard this guy. I, rec- I called his name. But as, as, I, as I just said, that's wrong. That's not Christ-like. That's a terrible witness. And it was a terrible witness. He's allowed a strange voice to get into his head where he thinks anger and hate is okay with God. Never okay with God. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I says, if people embrace that, that's a strange voice. I hate to say it coming from him. I believe he's a, a true believer, but that's a strange voice encouraging us to respond in the flesh and not in the spirit. And how many would say, amen, it's easier to respond in the flesh than the spirit? Now, amen. I'll say amen for you. Because you don't need to encourage. It's like a one-year-old or two-year-old. You do not have to teach them to throw food or to pitch a tantrum. It just comes natural. And the same thing is with our carnality. We don't have to try to encourage the carnality in our lives to pop up. We have to do just the opposite. What Paul said, I crucify the flesh every week. Every day. I think we need to repent. We need to humble ourselves before God. And 
We need to forgive people. We need to forgive people. We need to let go of offense. We need to let Christ, he is the good shepherd of our lives. He is the good shepherd of our souls, but he's also the good shepherd of our minds. And this is why his truth is so important. I want the praise team to come up. Do not be misled. And, and parents who have children, grown children, grandchildren, be careful of adopting a phrase like Black Lives Matter when the statement is true, but the organization is Marxist. It's a strange voice. Antifa is a strange voice. LGBTQ is a strange voice. It's to abolish Christ-centered faith. Adolf Hitler knew that he had to deal with the church. He could not pull off what he wanted to do without having the Lutheran church flowing with him. And they thought Bonhoeffer gives a great review of this. The people that was pulled in, they thought that they could influence him. It's kind of like somebody marrying someone who's not a believer. Well, I'll lead them to Jesus after we get married. I'll influence them for the Lord. It may not happen that way. So when we see the chaos going on, we need to let God give us good, clear vision. Saying, Lord, what's really going on here? What do I need to know here? Your voice is the clear voice that we need to hear. Would you stand with me this morning? And if all I'm encouraging you to do this morning, could you ask Jesus to speak to you? Just a simple request, Jesus. conversations outside the domain of your word. May we take more of our instruction from this book instead of from newsreels. May we hear your voice distinctly and clearly above all the other strange voices around us, Lord, that are trying to pull us into something that's not of you. You've come to give life and life more abundantly, the exact opposite of what the thief comes to do. And we see death, we see destruction, we see the robbery of people's lives, of their businesses, and we are repelled by that, but let us be drawn to that abundant life, that the life that you give, and the clarity of mind that you give, Lord. We repent. I repent, Lord, of not saying enough or not saying the right thing or not addressing 
that are in front of us, both personally and corporately. I ask, Lord, for a greater awareness of your, of your word, of your path, of what you want to see happen. People are not saved through political systems. They can only be saved at the foot of the cross, at that place of suffering and shame where you died for our sins and you covered our sins with your blood and you wash our lives with your precious blood, not for us to go back into the quagmire of sin, but for us to be your light, your salt. Forgive us, Lord, for staying in the salt shaker. Forgive us for putting a cover over the light. We need to be applying the seasoning of who we are to the people around us. And we need to let our light shine so that others can see you. Forgive us, Lord, for the failure that we've been at those things. When the essence of who we are is light and salt, you've made us light, you've made us salt. We don't make ourselves that. But forgive us for keeping it to ourselves. Give us a new burden for the lost a new heartbreak for those in our own family and we don't know where they stand. And for just thinking it's going to all work out when we're the voice that you want to speak through. Touch our world, Lord. Touch our nation. Our nation needs you so desperately. Our world, Lord, so broken. Deliver us from this virus. Deliver us from the division. Deliver us, Lord, from anger and hate. Deliver us from criticism. Deliver us from hostile feelings. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing things to invade our lives that's not of you. For allowing the flesh have control. Holy Spirit, you take control. You take control. Let's just finish with this.